For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. There's an incredible promise in Hebrews chapter 4 that, sadly, many of us don't take advantage of. We are invited into the very throne of heaven, and that 24-7, to ask God for grace and mercy in our time of need. And God never turns us away. Let's join Pastor Ross now with some reflections on this incredible privilege in a message entitled, Approaching the Throne. Alrighty, let's get started. Grab your Bibles. We are headed to the fourth chapter of the book of Hebrews. We left a dangling paragraph on the end of chapter four, and we need to go back and get to it because it's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Uh, Many people agree. So we're going to take a look at that today, and we're going to ask the Lord to help us do just that. Now, Heavenly Father, we acknowledge what Jesus taught us apart from him, we can do nothing, nothing of spiritual value unless the Lord helps us and opens our heart. Lord, we just confess right now that the word before us it doesn't have its origin in any man, but it is God-breathed. It's a living and active and sharp and ready to do a good work in us. We thank you, Lord, that your intentions with that sharp word is always redemptive. You always have our good in mind because you love us so much and you demonstrated that very, in a a very powerful way through Christ on the cross. So we know your intentions are good. Have your way with us, Lord. We open and yield to you. Speak to us for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It was David Lloyd-Jones, who was a prime minister of the UK uh, in the early 1900s, who said this, there's nothing so fatal to character as half-finished tasks. There's nothing so fatal to character as half-finished tasks. And the Hebrew Christians, who we've been talking about for the last several weeks, were on their deathbed character-wise, the God-given task of enduring to the end and finishing well was going to be apparently half-finished if they continued in their present course. You know what was going on. The persecution just kind of got to them. They were just kind of at the end of their rope. And of course, they were being tempted to turn around and to stop doing the very thing that was causing them so uh, much pain and suffering. Unfortunately, the thing that was causing the pain and suffering was also saving their souls. And so they had to make a choice. Temporary pain and problems here now and, and, and working out our salvation with fear and trembling or turning back and causing ourselves some spiritual disasters, but temporary physical convenience and comfort. That, my friend, is not just the choice that they had to make, but everybody in every age who uh, professes faith in Jesus Christ has to make that same um, choice. And so, you know, when you're going through a tough time, sometimes it's easier to walk 
by sight rather than faith. We're called as believers to walk by faith, not by sight. But these Hebrew Christians... You know, they, they wanted to go back to the temple where they could see the sun hitting uh, those marble stones and reflecting all the gold and all the precious gems. And they wanted to see it. They wanted to hear the trumpets and the shofars and smell the smoke of the incense and see their go-to guys called the high priest. Our Savior is like their high priest. So when you hear the word high priest, just think of the go-to guy for fixing my problem with God. And so uh, they wanted to see him. They could see him and, and touch him and, and see him in the elaborate display of, displays of dramatic offerings and doing the work that made them feel closer to God. The problem, of course, is, is that that all pointed to Jesus, which they already had. And so their pastor is riding them with this passionate plea. Hey, listen, number one, the greatest high priest, the greatest go-to guy you have for your soul is the guy who's already with you, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So what a beautiful passage. We're just going to kind of marinate in this passage. We're not in any hurry to get to chapter 5 with words like these and, and words that are so simple but so underutilized by every Christian who needs more perseverance, and more prayer, because this is what this passage is all about. So this morning, we're just going to kind of walk through this in three uh, ways to kind of corral our thoughts, maybe. Uh, first of all, we have a great high priest. We'll talk about him, because Hebrews is going to talk all about him for chapters and chapters. Uh, number two, we have a sympathetic friend in high places. Someone who really enters into your suffering and feels your pain. And number three, we have an open invitation to God's throne. Oh, my favorite verse in the entire Bible this week is, <laughs> I have to say this week because it kind of always changes and I always say it's my favorite verse, but you know, it is. This week. <laughs> And so we're going to dive in. Uh, we have, number one, so no takers, we have a great high priest. Well, our, our text starts with a therefore. And so all my seminary professors would always say, when you see a therefore, you need to ask what it's there for. And so very famous saying, I know you've heard it. But the therefore. 
for in this case points back to what he was just saying in the preceding verses. And, and without them, you don't understand the purpose of this sweet passage here because what came before it was cutting and harsh and in your face and a challenge and, and really kind of... Uh, saying, you know, warning us about the futility of playing games with God, hypocrisy, self-deception, trying to justify turning back and isolating and walking away from Jesus Christ. And every backslider has a list of reasons and accusations and excuses why they have to go backwards instead of forward. So he was reminding Christians who were flirting with disaster about the seriousness of our accountability before God. He says, P.S., you're going to see him. Uh, let me just refresh your memory with the uh, New uh, Living Translation. For the word of God is full of living power. So this is right before the therefore. Now, for the word of God is full of living power. It's sharper than the sharpest knife, cutting deep into our innermost thoughts and desires. It exposes us for who and what we really are. (laughs) Nothing in all of creation can hide from him. Everything is naked and exposed before God's eyes. And this is the God to whom we must explain everything that we're doing because we have an appointment with him. And with those uh, sobering words, really, now we need some encouragement. So here's what he's saying. So we just kind of look at that. One writer summed up, the last part of before the therefore by saying this, sadly, the sinful heart is always on the lookout for a reason to get out from under moral accountability and to break free from the bonds of spiritual discipline and its God-given obligation to the community of faith, brothers and sisters in the Lord, in order to begin once again to call its own shots and live as it pleases. So, so the word of God and the gospel is in the word of God and God is in the word of God. And he, he confronts them by saying, God knows the game you're playing. He's got your numbers. He's everything. He knows everything. And now the sugar, the honey, the, 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 that comes, uh, now, now we can move to the verse now, now, here's a spoonful of sugar to help that medicine go down. <laughs> so what he's going to say is, hey, your go-to person knows everything about you, the mess that you've made, the whole enchilada, and he invites you and loves you and is there to help you anyhow. That's really encouraging after what he's just told them. He says, you guys have been promised, he calls it entering God's rest. God has a plan for you in Christ. It's yours. You're supposed to reach it. You're supposed to hit the bullseye. You're supposed to enjoy this abundant life that God has come to give you. John 10.10, it says, I've come that they might have life and have it overflowing, abundance, rich, and satisfying productive and fruitful. And he called that entering God's rest. And he told the Hebrews, you guys are flirting with disaster. God's saying, exit, exit, exit. And you're saying, don't want to, don't want to, don't want to. 
So that's why he says, hey, and God knows exactly what you're up to. You may be telling your friends, oh, you know, maybe tomorrow, or I've, I've had this happen to me, or whatever. But you can't say that to God because he sees you just like an MRI, spiritually speaking. <laughs> He's got the whole read right in front of him, right? And then everybody's like, Ugh! and then he says, therefore, surprise. Even though he's read the nasty scan and knows that it's worse than you even know, he says, Come on, I got the answer for you because I paid for that and I love you and I'm here for you. What is it about messed up people that we are that we think sin? And weakness and failure and making a mess of things disqualifies us for grace. It qualifies you for grace. You are disqualified if you have it all together. <laughs> you are disqualified. Who needs a savior if you've got it all together? I don't need a savior. I'm perfect. Well, you've just disqualified yourself from needing grace and mercy because you don't have a time of need. You've got it all together. What? I, I'm going to offer you proof for this. The Pharisees who had it all together, who were righteous, they said, why are you hanging out with messed up people with messed up lives, i.e. sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes? And Jesus says, oh, didn't you know? <laughs> Healthy people, apparently, don't need a doctor. But sick people need a physician. I haven't come to call those who are right with God, the righteous, but I've called sinners. I've come to call sinners. He qualifies us. Stop trying to qualify by hiding the very thing that qualifies you. You got that? Then say amen. amen. Crying out loud. What is this, the 830 service? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> they know I love them. I love them. She says, I gotta tell them. <laughs> oh no, you're not. Ushers. I think you get that point. So he says, attention all messed up people. Hold on to your faith. Keep professing. Keep professing that faith. I'm a Christian. Jesus is Lord. Hold on. Because we've got somebody that specializes in helping messed up broken people. It's called the high priest. In their minds, when, when they're in spiritual trouble, every Jew knew, I need the high priest to make things right. He's the go-to guy to make everything okay between me and God, right? So, so as I said, number one, we have a great high priest. So let me show you a picture of him. This dude, this high priest... Everything about him, everything he's wearing, everything he does is screaming, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Everything. And beyond. And beyond. These, you know, the 12 foundations of the celestial city that comes down? They're all jewels. Guess what, what jewels are involved? 
These 12 jewels right here, they're the same thing because they represent the 12 tribes. They represent the 12 apostles. They represent the 12 walls of heaven coming down from the sky. This whole thing. Now, this guy, he had to be Aaron's blood lineage. Moses' brother, Aaron. So it was a hereditary position, right? And there were all kinds of rules and regulations for him, but he had to be a whole person and he had to be living a holy life. And he was the supreme religious leader of Israel. And you could go to him to find out God's will. He did a little proclaiming of the word, the good ones, right? And his job, the big ticket item, the go-to guy, because you couldn't go back behind the tent where the ark, the throne of God was symbolized. He could, once a year, in the right way, with the right protocols, which is he had to bring blood offering. And he brought that in there and he put it on top of the Ark of the Covenant, which was called really the mercy seat. And underneath the mercy seat within the Ark are the Ten Commandments, a constant reminder of what it takes to walk with a holy God. These are just Ten Commandments that are broken every day. And that's why he can't come in. That's why people couldn't come in unless there was blood and payment for breaking God's moral truths that are sitting there right there on the throne, right? And so that was his job on Yom Kippur, the 10th day of the seventh month of Tishri. And Tishri is our September, October. They kind of, uh, they're lunar months and so they don't go with ours so well. And so pastor's making a point. He's saying, obviously, this, that the blood of bulls and goats cannot forgive human sin. And if it could, why does he have to do it every year for 1,500 years? You would think we would have gotten to the place where, okay, we don't need it anymore. But we never got to that place. Dress rehearsal, dress rehearsal, dress rehearsal, because we need a real high priest who doesn't have to offer sins for, offer blood for sins of his own, but that could go in and make this thing permanent. Now, listen, Hebrews, Jews, listen to me. Ezekiel chapter 36 said, a time is coming when I'm going to take care of this permanently, wash you all clean permanently by one action and put my spirit in your heart Change a heart of stone to a heart of flesh that responds to my voice, that's alive, that keeps my commands because you'll want to, because you know me and there's love in all of this and, and says that day's coming and they call it a New Testament. So Jews can stop getting offended by saying you call our Bible the Old Testament. No, Jeremiah 31, your prophet says there's an Old Testament and a New Testament, that word is used, is coming to replace the Old Testament and make this not a shadow, but a reality, a permanent reality, because God himself was going to come through a human virgin womb and become the high priest who doesn't just go into a tent behind a curtain, but he's going to, and we'll go back to the verses now, He's going to go into the heavens and make things right in heaven and sit on a throne, not in an acacia 
box chest, the Ark of the Covenant, which stood for God's throne. But he's going to pass through the heavens, this high priest, and make it permanent by sitting on his throne. And so he's saying, you've got a great high priest. And so now he's really kind of digging in at comparing Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's saying, can your Aaron, you guys want to go back to your Aaron? Is he called Jesus, Savior, Son of God, God in the flesh? Do you have God for your high priest? You're going to leave God in a human body who's gone through the heavens. Look, he's gone through the heavens, and he makes it right in heaven. God himself who's finished the job. This priest would have to do it year after year. Jesus said, I go to the cross one time, and sins are finished. Well, we're one of his last words on the cross. It is finished. One word in the Greek, taleo. An accounting term, as I've told you many times, that means paid in full. Done. No more schlepping lambs around and bringing in your, your offerings and the bloody mess. No more bloody mess because I was such a bloody mess that you couldn't tell he was a human being, Isaiah says. He was so badly crushed and swollen and lacerated that when you looked at him, he didn't look human. He said, that was enough to put an end to sin's past, present, and future. Sin is irrelevant. It still destroy your life. But as far as it is in relationship to us who trust in him and confess our sins, Jesus, hey, you got a good go-to guy. Number two, we have a sympathetic friend in high places. Now, here's what he's reacting to. They're like, okay, yes, we, we're understanding Jesus as God and his transcendence, his deity is putting them off. Oh, he's God, you know, he doesn't understand me. He, the glory of God, we're talking about, I'm having a hard time with a difficult neighbor. I'm having a hard time paying my bills. And you're talking to me, don't talk to God about it. The force out there, you know. Oh, no, 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 no. No, he may be God in the flesh, God in a human body. But guess who was born into a smelly stable and laid in a trough. An animal trough is what a manger is, laid in a trough to feed cows. Don't, don't you be telling me he can't sympathize because he was one of you for 33 years. And one of you, in a full sense, he emptied out his godness. Uh, Philippians chapter two says, he emptied himself of his deity. That's why he could keep calling God Father and walk in obedience to God the Father because God the Son, which he was from all eternity, he laid it down. He said, I'm going to taste this human suffering and experience fully as a, as a full-on man. And that he did, laughing and crying and, you know, everything. Everything we face, he says, every thing he faces. So he's saying, hey, listen, he's sympathetic with our weaknesses. There it is, right? The word sympathize there 
is more in English, is more like the Greek, is more like the English word to empathize. The difference between sympathize and empathize. Sympathize means you can imagine somebody's hurt and pain. You come to the side, you go, that must be rough. To empathize is to have gone through that thing yourself and to enter into it and feel it and commiserate and look eyeball to eyeball and say, you don't have to tell me about that. Let me tell you about (laughs) And then with a compassionate desire to be of help there. That's what the Greek word means. We've got somebody who, (laughs) oh my word, he... (laughs) He had a job. He paid bills. He had difficult people. He had to work with the apostle Peter. (laughs) You know, one time he turned around and said, are you guys really so dull? You know, dull meaning, (laughs) you know, it was hard. You know, he knew what it was like to have somebody smiling on the outside, giving you kissy, kissy here, kissy here, dagger here. Well, you know that feeling? Yeah, so did he. Everything you could say, anything you could say. Well, I say it. Have you lost a child? Have you lost a mom or a dad? Joseph's not on the scene. Where's Joseph? Joseph is gone. He had friends die. He had the flu. He had to sleep. He got sick. Name it. He went through it. And for a purpose of being able to be merciful to you. That's an amazing thing. We have a high priest who understands. He's walked through it. He says, I walked through it. Come follow me. Watch me. And I did it without sinning or compromising, or relaxing my obedience to the Father. Just follow me, because I I know, I I bore that full on. Not only that, folks, full on pressure from the devil himself, Matthew chapter 4, to act on the human passions that we all share, the appetites and the longings. He played with him. And he resisted. He resisted. He said, I'm going to walk through this. I'm going to identify with everything you possibly can be going through so that when you come to me, you're not talking to the force or the glorious being on this glorious throne. You're talking to a regular guy who happens to be God of the universe. (laughs) I know that's hard, but I think part of the reason he did it is to come close to us that we wouldn't be intimidated by him. There is a human being who's sitting on the throne of the universe right now. He is a human being. He's exalted. He's born. He came from a woman. That's an amazing thought. I walked through this. I felt it. I, 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 yeah. Oh, you don't know. How can I keep forgiving and forgiving and forgiving? And Jesus looks at you and says, I know. Let me show you how to do that. But they're returning my good with evil. He says, I know. Oh, I know. 
And let me show you how, dear child, follow me. You're not alone in that. I know how you're feeling. I walked through it, follow me. So I'm on, uh, 12 years ago, I'm on 11 Long, which is the building at UCSF where you get your bone marrow transplant. It's the hospital, it's called Long. 11 is my floor. I had to sign like 10 pages of, we're about to practically kill you and then raise you from the dead. Is that okay with you? (laughs) So five pages of, you could die of this, you could die of that, you could die of this. Yes, so I go up there, I have just, I've got three little kids, I've got a wife, you know, I, I, I'm walking around the halls, my first day, and I, I bump into somebody, he's leaving, he's tying his shoes, he's kind of whistling a happy tune, and, and he's putting on his, clothes, his street clothes, and I said, what's that? what, you're leaving me, because I'm done, 62 days, I go, I know, <laughs> 62 days, and I'm looking at the patients in the other beds that are going to be what I'm going to be looking like. And I just start rambling and babbling and pouring out my heart and just kind of not even knowing what I'm saying. I'm, I'm, I'm freaked out. I'm nervous. I'm, I'm just talking to him like, like, talk to me. And he stands up. He ties his sneakers. He stands up, and he goes, come here. <laughs> While I'm talking, he goes, come here, come here. Grabs me and he goes, hugs me, he pulls back and he goes, he looks me straight in the eye and he says, I just walked through this. You're going to be fine. I just did this. I'm whistling a happy little tune. I'm tying my sneakers. I'm going to go out for sushi. All right? <laughs> You're going to make, I'll tell you what, that was better than any meds they had hanging on my pole. I mean, just to know, hey, you, you know, the nurse can tell me, hey, you're going to be all right. I've seen lots of people. Oh, no, don't, don't be quiet. You know, <laughs> I don't want to hear from you. I want to hear from this dude. He's been in the bed. He had the IV in his arm. He lost all his hair. Well, something's going to change. <laughs> Jesus looks at you and says, I have walked through your worst nightmare, keep your eyes on me. I care. Oh, listen. That's blank nidzomai in the Greek. It's the word that is used for only Jesus uses the word, and it means compassion. Whenever you read in the Gospels that Jesus had compassion on somebody, it's blank nidzomai. No human gets to use that verb, and it means to tear the gut. So it's a heart-wrenching identification and compassion. So when the leper comes up to him with his sores and his smell, and he says, I'm isolated, I'm rejected, I'm unclean. Can you help me? If you're willing, you can. And Jesus says, oh, splank nids of mine. I get you. I get the rejection. I get the feeling of being like a leper. I'm willing. And he reached out his hand. The go-to guy, our high priest, he gets us. He knows us. He knows how bad it is. And that's okay with him. He wants to fix us. F.F. Bruce said this. 
love that guy. If you got anything by F.F. Bruce, buy it. Christians have in heaven a high priest with an unequaled capacity for sympathizing with them in all the dangers and sorrows and trials which come their way in life because he himself, by virtue of his likeness to them, was exposed to all these experiences. Yet he endured triumphantly every form of testing that mankind could endure without weakening of his faith in God the Father or any relaxation of his obedience to him. It's a great mystery, God in a human body. But he did it for us, and he identified, he, he went through all those things, and yet without sin. Now, they could say, and I can hear, I, I can hear him anticipating uh, the guy, the Jews. And the Jewish Christians would say, hey, yeah, well, we got Aaron we got our high priest. He's a human being. He feels our pain and all of that. Does he really? Does he really? He's a sinner. It, while you're pouring out your heart, how do you know he's not thinking, is this guy going to continue for another hour? <laughs> all right? How do you know he's not thinking about what's for dinner and I want to get home and see my wife and kids? Those priests could be married, by the way. How do you know? Oh, he gets me. Does he really? Or does he misunderstand you? Does he lack? Is he coming down too hard on you because he doesn't really know who you really are, how much you've been through, uh, what happened when you were seven years old? He doesn't know that stuff. You've got a limited, sinful, inadequate high priest who's trying his best, but he's going to fall short in how he treats you and how he hears you. And what he doesn't hear. But when you go to Jesus, he knows all the mitigating factors. He knows why you're stuck. Oh, he knows. I'm thinking of the Samaritan woman sitting on the well, John chapter 4. And she tries to change the subject. He goes, oh, why don't you call your husband and we'll have a little chat. So... She goes, uh, well, actually, I'm not married. And he, and he goes, yeah, true that. <laughs> true that. You're not married. In fact, you've been married five times, and the guy you're living with right now is not actually married to you. What you just said is perfectly true. <laughs> you're not married. Oh, that blew her mind. This is the high priest you have. He's able to diagnose and look at you and know what happened with your father and your mother and what you're thinking that's right and what you're thinking is wrong. And, and, and he's got it all figured out. Aaron can't do that. But Jesus, the son of God, when you go to him, that knife cuts straight into where soul and spirit is. And he goes, aha, that's your problem. You're only going to hear that from Jesus. Because sometimes you'll hear, aha, that's your problem, and it's wrong. They missed it. Why? They're not Jesus, the Son of God. That's why. It's awesome. Let's finish up with verse 16 now. The best part, oh my, the gravy. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence 
so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. No need to run, no need to fear, no need to fake it. Cover up. He knows, he cares. He fixed the problem. He got rid of the penalty for whatever it is you're talking about. Well, it was my fault. Of course it was your fault. He paid for those too. They count, but I keep doing the same thing over and over again. Let us then approach the throne, but the very thing you want to do is do what your mom and dad did. They took off behind trees. Covered up the problem. Oh, everything's fine. You like this? A guy that had Ross dressed for less. You know? They had a sale on fig leaves. <laughs> Come on. Where are you, Adam? Just hiding back here because I really messed up. Come on. Don't run away when you understand, wow, I've really messed up or I'm thinking about messing up. Don't run away, run too. It's okay to come. It's okay to come to him with whatever situation you're going through. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace. So uh, just so you know, the writer is digging on comparing the throne of the ark there. Because grace, my friend, that's a scary place. And he's saying, you've got a throne of grace. You want to go back to Aaron and the Ark of the Covenant and the scary dark curtain and go through that curtain and die? That's attractive to you? When you have a throne of grace with a high priest who loves you and laid down his life for you? Come on. Grace doesn't veil itself in darkness. Instead, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 14, it says, grace says, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Grace isn't, you know, enshrouded in darkness. Grace doesn't say, keep out sinners. Grace says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. That's grace. You want a throne of grace? You've got one. You, you are turning back to one that isn't a throne of grace. Grace doesn't say, do this or die. That's the law. Grace says, trust me and live. Here's the most beautiful line in the Gospels, bar none, right here, Matthew 27, verse 51. Jesus dies. It says, and Jesus yielded up his spirit. He died. Next verse. At the moment, at that moment, Jesus' last breath, the curtain of the temple, you know, it, it was three tons. It was as thick as a phone book. It, it took 300 priests to manipulate that thing. <laughs> it was torn in two from top, from heaven. I'm doing the tearing to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. And they went in there and the Lord was saying, now, 24-7, not just one man, but anyone who believes in me, come on in and have life. That's a throne of grace. Charles Spurgeon on the terror in the temple. I don't know how that got in there, but thank you. 
Awesome. It is not a slight tear through which may, we may see just a little light, but it's a mighty tear from the top to the bottom. There's an entrance made for the greatest of sinners. If there had only been a small hole cut through it, the lesser offenders might have uh, crept through. But what an act of abounding mercy is this, that the curtain is torn down the middle from top to bottom so that the worst of sinners might find ample passage. Thank you for that picture. You made a mess of things. Your fear is getting the best of you. You just received a burning missile that's just... You got sins and they've got a stranglehold on you. Come and ask because you're welcome. You and your sins, you and your messed up life, you and everything embarrassing and humiliating about it is welcome in this place. The word for confidence, there's no English word for it. It, it, it is boldness, but it, interestingly, it means in the Greek, bold frankness. He's saying this. You've got humiliated, shameful things going on. You, you, you've broken vows. You've, you, you've acted in ways unbecoming of a person who knows the Lord. These are hard things to talk about, but you can come to me and tell it the way it is. You can be bold about it and open-hearted because I already know about it anyway. You can talk to me. Talk to me about it instead of the fig leaf approach of, okay, it wasn't that bad, and she made me do it, and all of that, and he and that. And listen, he's saying, when you go to God, pour out your heart with confident honesty, frankness, not a reverent, giving you an excuse to get in there and just tell him off. You know, I don't think it's wise to ever tell God off. I, I just, I don't recommend that. <laughs> but he's saying, be frank, be, be blunt. God, can you imagine? I'm thinking this. Can you imagine? This is terrible. This is evil. And it's in my head and it's in my heart. And Lord, have I said it and done it? Oh, he says, talk to me about it. There is nothing more healing than to go to God and lay it out openly and honestly. And he says, guess what? You got two options. When you come to me with your messed up problems, there are only two responses to my blood-washed children. Grace and mercy, nothing else. I got nothing else for you. You get to option one or two or both, probably both. That's what you get. If you come humbly and say, oh, this is awful. This is terrible. This is what I'm doing. I don't even know if I can stop. I got two things for you and two things only, grace and mercy. No, he's not going to roll his eyes. No, he's just not going to start laughing at you. He's not going to give you a lecture. How many times, how many times are you going to go around the mountain again? How many times do I have to teach you? 
I, I, can you hear him? Like, he's not going to like elbow one of the angels and say, get a load of this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's not going to do whatever it is that keeps you from accessing God in bold, frank ways, which all of us have a problem with. We don't tell him what's really going on. He knows what's really going on. He doesn't mind you sharing it with him. He says, talk to me about it, because i got two options. You're in a mess. I'm the solution. I came down to pay for it and to help you get through it. And i got two options for you. Which do you want, the grace or the mercy? Now, I had a, a child who, when he when he or she <laughs> uh, was uh, a teenager, uh, they had to be on timeout. And so I put the person on timeout and in the corner of the kitchen, and I was studying or reading, whatever. And so I forgot all about it. It had been a few minutes, you know. And so it's dead silent. My mind's distracted. And then I hear, Dad? And I'm like, yeah. I got a Bible question for you. And I'm like, good, finally the Lord's dealing with his heart, or her heart. <laughs> There's still two left, you don't know. <laughs> so you got, a, you got a Bible question, he goes, yeah, I'm still not engaged, I'm still in my own little world. You know, so he's, he says, what's the difference between grace and mercy? So I said, and I'm still not figuring things out, so I, look, I don't look up, I just say, well, grace is getting what you don't deserve, and mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And I look up, and he goes. <laughs> look. I got a picture of, you know, you've seen it before, the JFK Jr. in the Oval Office with his dad. Oh, come on. You, you know what? This kid is the apple of that guy's very powerful man in his time and his day, the most powerful man in the free world. And little John John just get to go into the Oval Office and hang out, listen to all the conversations. Whatever he and then let him be a little older for this illustration to when he can start asking for things. Let us approach the throne room of God, where he always, every time, because of the blood of Jesus, will hold out the, the golden scepter and welcome you and say, Oh, I'm glad you're here. Oh, I got a lot of problems. He goes, oh, I got a lot of two things, grace and mercy. Start talking, start talking, because I want to help you, because I'm for you, because you're going to make it all the way, and nothing's going to separate you from the love except a stupid decision to go backwards and not come forward to the approach. You can approach Aaron, and go backwards, or whatever your errand is, or are you going to stay with me and open your heart and let me help you with my only two options I have for you, grace and mercy. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, we, it's hard to believe because it sounds so good and so necessary. I just pray, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, you push us over into that place of trusting that we are welcome there and that we can ask. You said, ask in my name whatever you need and I'm going to take care of that. Restore that enthusiasm and hope and optimism in us, Lord. Because we've got a lot of problems. We've got a lot of brokenness. We've got a lot of disobedience. We've got a lot of temptations. And we need that grace and the mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org or find us on Facebook. These podcasts are also available in video format on our Calvary Chapel The Rock YouTube page.